0: You're listening to a CNA podcast.
1: Happy New Year, guys. The new year, it's all about beginnings and fresh starts, right? And some in Taiwan are hoping for exactly that. Presidential elections are set for January the 13th. Polls show the frontrunner is leading against his main opponent. But that lead is narrowing, meaning things could get interesting. Now, here are some key acronyms you need to know. DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party, considered the main contender, and they've held the presidency for almost eight years. They're often labeled pro-independence. Then there's KMT, Kuomintang, the main opposition, widely considered Beijing's preferred party. And TPP, Taiwan People's Party. They sort of sit in the middle, and they're being watched closely because the votes they pull away from the other two could make all the difference. Correspondents Deborah Wong and Tan Sahui join me now to break down what's at stake. Hi Deb and Sahui. Hi. Hello. So you guys, you're living, you're breathing this election right now. Before we dive into it, I want you to describe coverage of this campaign season in one word. Deb, you go first.
2: I would say it's a roller coaster. Suhui? I would say incredible.
1: Oh, okay. Let's unpack and find out why those two particular words. Sihui, I follow your Instagram. You've been posting what it's like to work in Taiwan. You show food, a lot of food. You show sites, (laughs) but also you show the scrums the media are a part of. For listeners who aren't familiar with the lingo, scrums are informal interviews. You can see them when you see reporters crowding around the person they want to get a clip of. Sihui, scrums in Taiwan, they look like they are next level.
2: Oh, they are next level. I mean, I've had experience in Singapore and Malaysia. This is another level. And I mean, just to describe to you, the most hectic week for me was the final week of registration when candidates had to submit their names to the election commission. And I remember my cameraman asking if it's okay to rent a foldable table for our shoot the next day. And I asked, what for? And then he showed me a picture of his phone, and it showed multiple tripods already lined up outside the the election (laughs) commission overnight. And he replied, (laughs) So he's saying there's no space for us already, so he needs a table to stand on to get a better shot of the candidate. So I said, sure. And the next day, I understood why. Around 100 people from the media all there clamouring to get a shot of the candidate, So it gets very crowded and crazy and it has become increasingly so over the last few years, according to my local cameraman. But the magic about Taiwan is that even as it's all messy, it is still somewhat orderly. There's no po- pushing, no shoving. They even get gave queue numbers at one point to note which media outlet <laughs> arrived first and gets to pick the best spot. So it will probably get even more exciting closer to the polls.
1: Wow. Reminds me a bit of Taylor Swift tickets, but you know the excitement, the <laughs> chaos. Okay, Deb, you have been talking to voters leading up to polling day. What are the top issues for them this election cycle? Is it typical bread and butter stuff or is security high on their list? Well,
0: I would say livelihood issues are definitely still a priority. You know, We're looking at very high property prices and stagnating wages in Taiwan right now. Economic recovery after the pandemic is still pretty sluggish. In fact, back in October, the IMF lowered Taiwan's GDP forecast for 2023 to 0.8% and that's amid a global economic slowdown. And let's take a look at youth unemployment as well. That's remained high at about 11.2% as of last May. And to top it off... Taiwan as a whole is left out of regional trade blocs. So it sort of limits its economic participation on the world stage greatly. And, you know, I spoke to some young voters. So have a listen to what they had to say. We spoke to them at Ting, and it's actually pretty interesting because these are students in the university.
2: Career issues and increasing property prices are of top concern to me. I think Taiwan's property prices are very high. With current wages right now, they aren't able to afford it. Even if regular Taipei people work two jobs, they still struggle to afford a house or daily expenses.
0: But you know, of course at the end of the day, livelihood issues may be important, but... The issue that is not too far from people's mind is the issue of cross-strait tensions, uh, especially as the Kuomintang has framed the polls as a choice between war and peace. So the polls are, after all, happening just as two major conflicts are unfolding in Ukraine and Gaza. So analysts right now, they're cautioning that the Taiwanese should be prepared for every possibility. China's defence ministry has accused the DPP of hyping up the military threat. Uh, Taiwan's Defence Ministry has uh, reported the Chinese balloons drifting over the street recently, but, you know, they've caveated by saying that it's just purely for weather monitoring purposes. And the DPP also extended military conscription to a year to boost combat readiness. So all in all, really the idea of preparation is not too far from people's minds. And we did raise this topic to the youth as well, to just have an understanding of whether or not it is an issue for them to consider when they eventually go to
2: the polls. Concerned about how to maintain peace between the straits, the conscription laws have changed. We will be the first batch who needs to serve for a year, so we are quite concerned about issues regarding security.
1: So people in Taiwan have a lot to think about these last few days. Earlier, I ran through the key parties in this race. Suhui, one of them is TPP. For a relatively young political party, I think they formed four years ago, right? The the support they've garnered so far is quite impressive, isn't it? Oh yeah, it is very
2: impressive. I mean, after eight years of uh, the ruling party, the Democratic Progressive Party's rule, I think some Taiwanese, especially the young, they're tired of the way the ruling government has been handling domestic issues, economic stagnation, high housing prices. So, I mean, we even saw this when they lost big in the local elections in December 2022. So I spoke to one young voter and she said housing prices are are very expensive now, especially in Taipei, and she's moving back to her hometown. And she said she wants to vote for Mr. Kerr because she believes a change is necessary. So... It seems like voters are tired of the way the two big parties are bickering constantly, so they want to find a middle ground, and that is the Taiwan People's Party, and that is led by mr Cowancher so it It is a refreshing look for young voters who want fresh ideas without the deep seated baggage that both big parties bring. So what we saw is, yes, there is great support for the TPP, especially at the start. They were ranking second in opinion polls. But we did see, however, that when Mr. Kerwin, sir, of the TPP, when he agreed to have a coalition with the KMT in November, that's when he started to lose some support from his camp. Uh, we saw opinion polls for Hoyo E rise after the coalition collapsed and uh, Mr. Kerr remained in third spot. So right now, it seems like voters are doing what's called strategic voting. They're throwing mm-hmm. support behind the candidate best able to topple the ruling government. So that's why we're seeing the Kuomintang in the second place now. So I would say Mr. Kerr started strong at the beginning, currently lost, losing a bit of momentum. But then again, these are all based on polling results, which, you know, mm-hmm. different polls garner different kinds of results. So it could be that Mr. Ko could turn out to be a wild card in this election.
1: Deb, all three main candidates, they, they don't have much experience when it comes to handling foreign policy issues. And that could be a problem, right, given it's such a large part of the Taiwan president's agenda. How is the island going to retain or enhance its legitimacy on the international stage when its next leader is going to be pretty green? So
0: people are really looking at how the vice president can step in to support the president. After all, they are meant to represent Taiwan as a team. So for the DPP, the vice president candidate is Xiao Bi Keem, and she has experience in that area since she was Taiwan's representative to the US up until her candidacy. But, you know, this also means that political pundits are looking at the outcome of the legislative election, whether either party, the DPP, KMT, or the TPP can garner enough votes to form a majority and eventually influence foreign policy. So... Just something interesting to note: in every Taiwan election, candidates will all visit the U.S. at some point Indeed. to, not to garner votes or anything, but to raise their visibility on the foreign platform. And we saw that display during their speeches and policy presentations. They've listed different strategies on how to deal with well foreign policy as well as cross straits policies. So, Willem Lai of the DPP, he has reiterated that he will be focusing more on forging partnerships with the US as well as Taiwan's remaining allies. So, for the opposition camp, we're looking at Hou Yi and wen talking about tapping into international trading blocks while restarting trade talks with China because they know that once the cross traits issue is sort of resolved or, or at least come to a more stable situation, then mm-hmm. they would have a better chance of negotiating for a seat at the international trading blocs.
1: Mm. So we know Washington will be watching this election. So Hui, President Tsai Ing-wen came into power in 2016. And ever since then, uh, that's eight years now, Beijing has refused to engage. So in terms of cross-strait stability, what do each of these candidates bring to the table?
2: Yeah, you're right. I mean, ever since she came to power, Beijing has been giving her the cold shoulder to Taiwan for for eight long years. Cross-strait relations is high on the agenda. Nearly every presidential policy presentation that that happened over the last week, including the debate, it's all about cross-strait relations. And understandably, because China places the issue of reunification high on the agenda, and they have said that they will not rule out the use of force if necessary. So for now, every candidate has said that a vote for them means greater stability in the region, but we are likely to expect different outcomes for the different candidates who are voted in. So for example, the ruling DPP's William Lai analysts say cross-strait relations may get a bit risky as he has had a track record of promoting independence for Taiwan. So Beijing may continue to give the cold shoulder despite the DPP's insistence on communicating with them. And as Depps has said, his vice presidential candidate is former U.S. envoy Xiaobi Kim, and she has extensive ties with Washington. And this could further isolate the island if the DPP is elected. Now, as for the opposition candidates, the Kuomintang is seen as a Beijing-friendly party that could possibly help restore communication with China, and experts say cross-strait tensions are likely to ease. And the KMT has so far framed this election as a choice between war and peace, and call on voters to vote for them so that the next four years will be peaceful. Then again, a large percentage of what voters want is to maintain status quo, neither independence nor reunification. So that's what Mr. Kerr wants of the TPP champions' deterrence and communication. But experts say this stance on the issue of cross-strait relations is not very clear or outright, so it remains to be seen what exactly Mr. Kerr brings to the table.
1: Okay, so how is Beijing reacting to all this so far?
2: Recently, China has called Taiwan out for hyping up military threat. Again, as Depp's described, I think Taiwan talked about how there were balloons drifting over the straits. So I think that's why China is saying you're hyping up the military threat because Taiwan accused China of influencing the race through their actions. There are also reports that say China may threaten more trade sanctions on Taiwan if the ruling party stubbornly adheres to supporting independence So these were some of the reactions from Beijing over the campaigning so far.
1: And interestingly, residents of Hong Kong have been flocking over. They've been flying over to Taiwan to take in all this excitement. They can't vote, right? But they're still feeling strong emotions around this poll. Why is that, Deb?
0: To answer this question, we have to go back to 2019 because that was a very pivotal point in Hong Kong's history. You know, in the aftermath of the anti-extradition bill protests, Hong Kong authorities clamped down hard on dissent they essentially overhauled the entire electoral system. So essentially, only patriots who were loyal to the Hong Kong government were allowed to run for office. And under the reforms, what that meant for voters was that they could only vote for fewer than 20% of the seats, as the rest were appointed by government-elected committees. So just for some context, they used to be able to vote for about 94% of the seats, and this is a significantly huge drop. So, while authorities say that the reforms were necessary to depoliticize the system, critics also saw it as a further erosion of democratic mm-hmm. freedoms. And we saw intense marketing and campaigning in the one or two months leading up to the district council elections back in Hong Kong on the 10th of December. Despite that, you know, there was the lowest voter turnout at 27.5% in history for that round. In Taiwan, on the other hand, election fever is in full swing. Sui and I have been here for a while. We've seen banners everywhere, you know, candidates standing at intersections, Sui so nodding, smiling,
1: yes. to residents,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and everyone you talk to, you know, even down to vegetable sellers in the markets or even taxi drivers, you know, they all have an opinion wow. about who people should be voting for, which candidate has the best policies, and. You know, that vibe there in Taiwan is so vibrant and it's quite (laughs) different from the muted response we're seeing in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And also because
1: in Taiwan, you know, there's no quota on the number of seats voters can elect. And you also went to a new district in northern Taipei on the outskirts. And that region has seen a huge influx of people from Hong Kong coming to resettle in the past few years. This election, what impact is it going to have on those people in particular?
0: Okay, so again, I'm gonna unpack this with context. The district you're talking about, that's the district of uh, Tamsui or Tansui. So during the last round of elections in 2020, uh, this was again in the aftermath of the Hong Kong protests. Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen she touted the island as a safe harbor for Hong Kongers who were fleeing political persecution. So after she said that, authorities in Taiwan they soon set up a services and exchanges office to facilitate any moves Hong Kongers uh, wanted to make. So people could apply back then for naturalisation after living a year in Taiwan. But ever since, you know, in recent years, we've seen Hong Kong's closer integration with China. Taiwanese authorities have gotten a little bit more cautious about approving visas. So we've seen reports from Hong Kongers here starting to surface that applications were being stonewalled or they were being delayed. Uh, They keep getting letters saying that, oh, you have to submit uh, this document, there's this something else missing, uh, you have to do uh, a couple more years running a business to qualify for residency. So things like that, they, they have been receiving in the mailboxes. Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council, on the other hand, say that they've had to mandate a review for applicants who are mainland citizens or employed by agencies associated with China. So, you know, back to the question of why the Hong Kong residents in Taiwan are looking at the poll's very closely it's because the opposition parties uh, are more willing to open talks with beijing if they get elected and so hong kongers are hopeful that any administrative changes will lead to a better immigration policy so we spoke to a couple of hong kongers about what they're hoping to see as the polls draw near because they can't vote at this moment and we attended this festival that was organized by Taiwan authorities to sort of foster better integration, you know, among the new migrants from Hong Kong and Taiwan. And we saw a couple of Hong Kongers there, so we had a chat with them, and uh, this is what she said. We have come to Taiwan for around one and a half years. Life here is all right so far. We also worry if things will change when the new president comes into power and we might have to start everything from scratch.
1: Suhui, you're young. You're the perfect person Relatively to talk to about the youth vote. <laughs> <laughs> Relatively, Now, observers say that among the estimated 19 and a half million eligible voters in Taiwan, some 10 percent of them are still undecided. Most of them are young people. How significant is the youth vote and how are these young people being courted? Who do they like?
2: Yeah, so the youth vote is significant, just to give a sense of it, because people aged between 20 to 34, they account for one-fifth of Taiwan's population. And so the race is narrow for the top two positions, and so winning the youth vote could turn the tide for any one candidate. But it also matters if youths even turn out to vote at all. Mm -hmm. Because in the last election, official data showed that only about 70% of Taiwanese in that age bracket turned up and that's a lower share than among middle aged and older voters. So candidates are doing their best to woo them. You're asking who do they like the most? And the youth are generally supportive of the Taiwan People's Party which is Mr. Koen. Again, he's offering a middle road and he's different from the the two big parties. He's very candid in what he talks about and the TPP is also very good in tapping uh, social media to reach out to these voters. so mm-hmm. And also because TPP is, it doesn't have the legacy of an established party, so some of them are really quite sick of hearing the usual tensions across the streets. They want real solutions to their everyday problems. We're talking about cost of living, low wages, few job opportunities. And so that's why the candidates are also offering solutions to domestic issues, not just about cross-strait relations that we've been hearing over and over so they talk about housing issues in Taiwan. The DPP wants to ramp up building houses for the young and elderly. Kuomintang also offering newly married couples to own a home is easily. I mean, just to give a sense, I spoke to a young voter uh, recently. She says she's still undecided. And she says she's only likely to make her decision until the very end when she she puts in her, her ballot.
1: Now we've got a large CNA contingent in Taiwan covering this election. But before we go, you guys, and uh, before you head back to covering the campaign trail, uh, tell me what is going to unfold over this last stretch, Deb.
0: For reporters or for the party. So for reporters? <laughs> <laughs> for reporters, uh, lots of vitamin C's. <laughs> Making sure that we are healthy enough because it's going to be intense, it's going to be exciting. All three parties, DPP, TPP and Kuomintang, they will be touring Taiwan. They're heading down the coast to the south. You know, they will be touching on the cities in Taitung. So we're going to be expecting big rallies there in the south as well as in the northern part of Taiwan. Mobile parades as well. DPP candidates together with President Tsai, they will be campaigning hard in a total of 12 contested districts. Kuomintang insiders, on the other hand, say that the strategy is to secure more votes in northern Taiwan to compensate for weaker support in the south. But Ho Yi will still tour the south and he will be working with Popular Member and uh, former Kaohsiung Mayor Han Kuo-yu to appeal to the voters there. TPP's co wen will be delivering speeches in the central and southern Taiwan and he will, again, be engaging more on policy presentations because that's how he has been able to tap on the undecided voters as well as the youth votes. So campaigning season is already in full swing and it's going to be really exciting. Aside Mm -hmm. from that, we would be keeping an eye out for, you know, again, uh, candidates at intersections, uh, aside from that colour as well, among supporters, turning up at rallies, addressed all up in party colors. I think that has been really, really exciting to see so far because I've seen at the Kuomintang rally a woman coming in, bore feathers. <laughs> huge hat. (laughs) Yeah, I saw her as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And of course, you have a lot of hardcore supporters coming to the rallies with the gigantic Taiwan flags, waving them around, you know, everything adds to the atmosphere, the vibrancy Mm -hmm. of the rally. So it's going to be really exciting going forward.
1: Wow, sounds like there's nothing quite like covering a Taiwan election. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Nice speaking to you. Make sure you catch their TV coverage. It's on CNA Correspondent. It airs every Wednesday at 9 30 p.m. and catch up with them anytime on CNA.asia. The team behind this episode is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang. Thanks for listening.